Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this, this time that we can gather together uh, to study your word. Father, we thank you for the book of Genesis, which is uh, really the, the foundation of, of so many things. It's a book of beginnings. And so, Father, as we uh, transition here from the first 11 chapters, which are filled with many uh, events, Lord, and we go to these last uh, however many chapters in Genesis that are filled really revolving around uh, the lives of four men and, and sort of the beginning of Israel and and uh, your promises of the Messiah that would come and bring restoration to a fallen world. We ask, Lord, that you would help us today as we enter into this passage, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, uh, Lord, that you would um, just help us to focus on you, that we would be comforted by you, and that we would find encouragement in you. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the promises that you made to Abraham and how we, uh, through Christ, have been grafted into him and have become his children. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to lead us and guide us uh, through this study of Genesis. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. Uh, Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son his son Abraham's wife, or Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went up as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moriah. Now the Canaanite was in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. And Father, we do thank you again for this passage. We thank you for your word. We, we ask that you would uh, lead us today. And it's in Christ's good name I pray, Amen. All right, so today's one of those days. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of foundation um, in preaching. You study, you prepare, you get about a you know like a hundred marbles, and then you're allowed to share one marble. And so I know there's just a lot of information sort of behind the scenes. Um, I have to r- remind myself that we're going to be with Abraham for a while over the next couple months. 
And so there's a lot of stuff we're going to learn about him as we sort of uh, enter back into Genesis, as we focus on this man. And so today I want to, it's sort of like a, just an introduction, a teaser of Abraham, probably a little bit more than that. Um, I want to get our bearing straight. Our last time that we were in Genesis was back in February, so it's been a few weeks um, since we've been here. Um, Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are mainly about events. There are people that are included and mentioned, but in large part, the first 11 chapters of, of Genesis are about events, the creation accounts, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel. Uh, ultimately, we see these sort of these two lines begin to develop between Ham, which it would just remind us Ham is bad to the Jewish people. He, he was an individual and he was bad. He had a bad reputation. He was the one who wanted to get his brothers to go look at naked dad and he was cursed and the Canaanite people came through him. And so his line is going to come up multiple times. Uh, chapters 1 through 11 cover about 2,000 masumenos uh, years of human history. So there's about 2,000 years in the first 11 chapters. As we go from here to the end of Genesis, it covers anywhere between 300 or 350 years, depending on who you ask. Um, it's a much uh, sh- shorter chronological time frame. The focus is on the patriarchs, Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. These four men and their lives are going to be expounded upon in these coming chapters. Uh, There's a major division in Genesis as we begin uh, today's section. Uh, Theologically, uh, today's the beginning of what we know as the Abrahamic covenant. It's this great covenant that God made with Abraham. Today is the introduction to it. Uh, Some time's going to go by. We're going to get to chapter 15. We're going to see that the Abrahamic covenant is ratified and then actually put into place through a, through a sacrifice. But we'll, we'll get there when we get there. But today's portion is, is super significant theologically. It's super significant in, in human history. But we meet Abraham today or Abram. His name will be changed to Abraham, so forgive me if I refer to him as Abraham. I'm talking about Abram. He's Abram at this point. Abram means father. Uh, So Abram is a super important man. Within Genesis, about a quarter of the book of Genesis is devoted to Abraham. There are some 40 references to Abraham in the Old Testament. There are some 75 references to Abraham In the New Testament, um, God refers to him in Isaiah 41.8, beautifully refers to Abraham as his friend, that Abraham was my friend. Uh, Paul points to Abraham in this sort of section of Scripture as one of his key teaching points on faith and grace. That, that man's relationship or human, humanity's relationship with God, this intimacy and relationship that we have with him has always been about grace, has always been about responding by faith. And in Romans chapter four, he points to the life of Abraham and how he responded to God. He says he believed God and it was reckoned or credited to him as righteousness. James refers to Abraham 
his life of works as being grounded from faith, that his faith resulted in these works and these dis- the, the displays that we see. In the great uh, section that we refer to as the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham is the man who gets the most amount of uh, verses. A, a huge section is uh, devoted to him about how he responded to God in faith. Finally, in Galatians, or not finally, the finally for me, what I'm going to refer to, finally, in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, the Apostle Paul tells us who are in Christ, who have placed our faith in Jesus, that we are sons of Abraham, that we've been grafted in, and that we are heirs to the promises that were given to him. The promises that we see beginning in Genesis 12, the Abrahamic covenant that goes from here until Genesis chapter 15. Abraham is the father of many faiths. Obviously, the Jewish religion, super key personality. To the Christian faith, super key person. To the Muslims, Abraham is second only to Muhammad. And this whole section that we're looking at, that we see this like manifest itself, these promises, and all of the sort of prophecy that we see, we, we see it in the, in the city or the town of, is, of Jerusalem, uh, the, golden to- the, 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 the golden tomb, the, the, the dome of the rock, the image that you see in the news all the time, this, this piece of real estate in Israel that is a, a place that, that tourists, if you go to Israel, it's like one of the places you will visit. And the, the reason, or what I should say, let me back up my thoughts. I have too many files open in my brain right now. Um, so the Dome of the Rock is controlled by the, by the Muslims. So it's, it's controlled and, and controlled by them. The Jews go to the Western Wall, and they worship there, and they, the Wailing Wall, where we've, you see those images of that courtyard filled. The reason is that's the closest that they can get to the holiest of holies. If Jews go into the, into the temple area, which they are allowed to, they will only walk the perimeter of, of the courtyard of the inside. And the reason they do that for fear that they might accidentally step on the holiest of holies. Christians flock to this location. We walk wherever because we're a little bit more laid back, I guess. And, and we just enjoy this site. And all of these religions sort of descend on that location. Because Abraham, it's thought to that's the location where he sacrificed Isaac. Muslims in the Quran, they follow the story of Abraham up to the sacrifice of Isaac, except what they do is they insert Ishmael into the, the, the one that was being sacrificed. So they've rewritten history uh, from a biblical perspective on that location. But that's why they find that spot uh, so holy and so important because of Abraham. We go there because of all of the promises that, that are, you know, Jesus going there. It's just, my point is that all three of these religions have ties to Abraham. And so we're going to become very acquainted with Abraham from now until the 25th chapter of Genesis, which if we go as I think we're going to go, it'll take us to July. But that's who knows what's going to actually happen. So we're going to ease in today's passage. Genesis chapter 11, just to get our bearings of where we were seven weeks ago or so. In verse 10, so in Genesis 11, verse 10, 
we read, these are the records of the generations of Shem. Okay, then there's a whole lot of so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. We see all of Shem's, Shem's descendants, and you follow it all the way down to verse 27. And then we see, now these are the records, or these are the generations of Terah. Terah is a descendant of Shem. Terah is the father of Abraham. So it's following, following this godly lineage, this, this line taking us to Abraham. And so some context is set here in verse 26. Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. So it's super important when we see this word Haran, if I see it, I will try to tell you if I'm referring to the individual or the location. The map behind me, I think I can memorize the numbers. Hopefully you can see one, two, three, four. So location one is Ur. Location two is the location of Haran. This is the Persian Gulf. This would be like modern-day Kuwait. This is Iraq. And you see the the river Euphrates. So you see basically modern-day Iraq. Uh, The coast over here, the land of Cana. This is modern-day Israel. Uh, Circle number four is Egypt. This whole region is going to be referred to over and over again. But right now, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 26... We are introduced to the man, Haran, not the location, Haran. So Terah is a man. He had three sons, or three sons are listed, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, Abram, Nahor, Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. So now we're introduced to this guy, Lot, who's going to become a figure, a person that we are going to meet and learn about in the coming weeks. Lot is the son of Haran. So he is the nephew of Abram. And then we're told Haran, in verse 28, died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldeans. So in location number one, they're all down in location number one. Uh, we don't know exactly the location of where this is. Like it's generally, it's in this, this region. We're introduced to these three brothers. Abraham's brother dies. He has a nephew. And I don't want to make too big of a case about this, but as we see this story develop, we see first, we see a painful incident in the life of Abram. Abram loses a sibling, super painful. He has a son, Abram, whose name is father, the irony there, and he, we're going to see, he has a wife that can't have children, so they're unable to have children. He becomes like a father to Lot, so there's a closeness in this relationship. We find ourselves in Ur of the Chaldeans. We continue verse 29. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves, the other brother, the remaining brother. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, which will become Sarah. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Ishka. Sarai was barren. She had no child. So irony there. Abram's name means father. 
They have no children. In this culture, during this time, this would be viewed as a curse from God. This would be a lack of blessing. This would be very painful to them. Um, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans, location number one, in order to enter the land of Cana, location number three, and they went as far as Haran, location number two, and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, so as the story develops, we're down in location number one. Abram has two brothers. Abram is married. He has no children. His brother has a child. His brother dies uh, in the presence or before his, his father died. So now you have this orphan or this child, and we don't know much about the mom. But Abram seems like he takes in his nephew to sort of to, to raise an influence as sort of a father figure. We're told then that they are supposed to go to Canaan or they're making their way to Canaan, but they make their way up to Haran, not the man who died, but the location. They find themselves there, they're up in that location, and then they die. The father dies, not they die. The father dies. And then we get down to to, to verse 1 of chapter 12, and it reads, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And so if you just read this uh, from line to line, it doesn't necessarily, there's some gaps there that aren't filled in for us. And this is where we have to go to Acts chapter 7. If you go over to Acts chapter 7, hopefully you saved your spot there like I warned you. We go over to Acts chapter 7. Stephen, who is uh, going to be one of the, uh, a martyr in the early church for his faith. He's believed in Christ. Uh, he's Saul the apostle is there. He's going to ultimately kill him. And they're going to stone him. But he gives this powerful speech to the leaders of Israel. And he's going to recount their history before uh, the Sanhedrin. So he's on trial. Verse 1, we read, Now the, the high, priest, high priest said, Are these things so? And he that Stephen said, Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. The spot number one. Before he lived in Haran, spot number two. And he said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran's location number two. From there, after his father died, God had him move to this country in which you are now living, location number three. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet when he had no child, he he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land, location number four, Egypt, and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they would be in bondage, I myself will judge said God, and after that they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave them, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision, 
And so Abram became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. So he's kind of giving a quick recap of Abraham's life. We're going to continue to explore this over the next few months. But the interesting thing that he says is he says, while they were in Ur, that's when God spoke to him and said, it's time for you to leave your father, your family, go to the land which I will show you. And then we're told that they all pack up father and all and they go to Haran. So there's sort of like this partial obedience, not complete obedience. Also, if you'll turn with me over to Joshua chapter 24, sort of a little backdrop to this, this, this story. Is Joshua at the end of his life, he finds himself, you know, uh, God working through Joshua. They're taking the land. Joshua's on his, basically the end of his life. He pulls the nation of Israel together and he's going to give them a little pep talk. Marching orders for after his death, encouraging them to walk with the Lord, to make the decision that they can walk with the Lord or not walk with the Lord. Um, And he says here in verse 1, or we read in verse 1, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and called for the elders of Israel, and for their heads, and for their judges, and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abram from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. Okay, you can go back to Genesis, figure out where we are here. So first off, from the Acts account, again, we see that God called at location number one. Then the family moves up to Haran. Joshua, in his recounting, if we're just reading Genesis, and we just kind of slide through this, it would be very easy for us to think, man, Abram just came from a super... Christian family of Jewish, you know, not even Jewish family, just a super uh, God-fearing family is probably the, that they all walked with God, they all loved with God, everything was going perfect in their lives, they were just super close with God. But then when we look at the, the sort of the fuller account of Scripture, it's, it's not as, as pretty as it, as it seems. Abram's family was worshiping other gods, they were in the world, we know that Ur and Haran uh, that these were like metropolitan areas. The, the world's influence was really strong there. It would have been a great place to live. And God comes and says, hey, you need to leave. And, and Abraham gets that call in Ur. And he's got his family. And they make, they, he kind of, that partial obedience where the whole family migrates up to the northern location. They're not walking with God. And I think that that in this moment, Abraham probably is still wrestling with God and wrestling with this call to go. Uh, maybe it's because I'm, you know, I'm trying to imagine the story and I'm looking at my own life and how in the world did I end up in Valley Center? And I ended up in Valley Center. It started in 
probably 2,000 on a ship somewhere in the Middle East. I was reading through the Bible, and I distinctly felt God was calling me to do something with my life other than be a Navy SEAL. I had no clue. Like this day, Anna was going through our bookshelves and cleaning up, and her and Grace were going through stuff, and Grace finds this Bible, and I'm like, oh, be careful with that Bible. That's the Bible. That's my first Bible that I, and she's like, it smells so good. I'm like, I know. It was under my car seat, and it hit like, under my car seat, there was an air freshener, and the air freshener was touching the Bible, and still to this day, it's like all blood through, like this beautiful, like vanilla scent, and um, the aroma of the Lord, and I'm like, that's the Bible that I was like, you know, I started out, and I kind of like gave my life to Christ, and I, I, but I had so many questions. I'm like, well, I'll just answer my questions by reading the Bible. Well, that just led to more questions. And so I, I look at that Bible, and I look at the little check marks of my going through. And I forget, I think I was like on the USS Ogden, down with a bunch of Marines, like hunkered away. And I'm like midway through, and I just felt like God was saying, you're supposed to be doing something with this in your life. And I remember kind of going down that road and not having a clue. And then years went by. And just different mile markers sort of came up along the way. Then it led to Bible college, not because I thought I was going into ministry, just because I wanted to, those questions that surfaced from reading the Bible led to Bible college. I thought, well, now if I just go to Bible college, then all my questions will be answered. And then more questions came and more questions came. And it's like God will like work in our lives by convicting us, by leading us, but he doesn't always necessarily lay out everything before you. And so for me, I was in the ship. That was my ur, and I get this call to go somewhere, and I think that he probably got this call, but it doesn't always like come with clarity. It doesn't always come with, like, these are all of the steps that you need to take. And so you can kind of partially respond, and I think that Abraham kind of partially responded. And then he gets up here in the midst of everything, and then his dad dies, and maybe when his dad dies, he finally has the freedom or the relief to then go. Um, because we come to chapter 12, verse 1 of Genesis, and it's just like that other stuff isn't included. And I love that God, in this sort of uh, reflection of Abraham's life, and throughout the scripture, when we look at Abraham, it's like the scripture focuses on the good that Abraham did. What we know Abraham for is that he was a man of faith. It wasn't a perfect faith, but it was a faith that he heard God's voice And he eventually got around to doing what God asked him to do. And as we read through this story, we're going to see a bunch of imperfections in Abraham's life. He's not, any wife will tell you that knows the story when he starts lying about his wife and there's stuff that's coming. But we read in verse one, now the Lord said to Abram, a lot of translations actually write it out. The Lord had said, and I think that those translations like the King James, the New King James, the NIV, the New Living Translation, they sort of capture that this calling is something that had happened previously. So now the Lord had said to Abraham, back at location number one, he's presently in location number two, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. He's saying, take everything that you know, all of your family, everything that you have, and walk away from it. That's a terrifying thing when God asks you to walk away from something in this way. He says, and I 
will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so this is sort of the nutshell of the Abrahamic covenant. There's three parts to it. There's a national blessing. We're told that from Abraham, this nation of Israel is going to develop. When you look at the nation of Israel over time, it's, they're simply an amazing people. Like I forget what popula- like percentage of population that, that Israelis make up. It's like a fraction of, of the world population. You look at like Nobel Peace Prizes and they compose something of like 70% of the Nobel Peace Prize recipients. They've done amazing things. The fact that they exist today is, is a miracle, that they would be taken into slavery and bondage, that Israel would go away for 2,000 years, and that through World War II, that the Israel nation that would be rebirthed is, is miraculous. And so here Abraham is, the father with no children. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he's like, okay. He then, number two, says, that there's going to be a a, a personal blessing in this. I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. This also relates to the seed, that, that through him, these people will come. He's receiving this childless. Between here and chapter 15, we'll see how they get their new name. Sarah is like going to advance 25 more years. She's going to take the name like laughter, like this is ridiculous if you think I'm going to have a child at this point. Abram's like, how is this possible? There's going to be a whole lot of doubt in the midst of their faith, but God is, is setting this up to show his sovereignty and his power and his might through this whole story. And then the third part is there's this promise of international blessing. He says, to those who bless you, I will bless, and to those who curse you, I will curse. Um, I'm I'm sorting through my thoughts and what to say and what not to say and how far to go. Um, When we look at Israel, this nation of Israel, there's a. It's not a simple like Israel's not always like the. It's not a nation that should be worshipped. It's not a nation that that that, um, they don't always do right. Somewhere in the midst of the, the humanity of Israel and the politics of Israel, like this, this promise that's found in Scripture is that, like, that God says those who bless Israel will be blessed and those that curse Israel will be cursed. There's a large part of the world today that wants Israel just like wiped off the face of the map. Um, and our nation, like the United States, isn't mentioned in the Bible. The only place that you could insert that the United States could be inserted into the Bible, in my opinion, is with a lump sum. As like, is, are we going to be a nation that blesses Israel? Or are we going to be a, a nation that curses Israel? Because we're, we are told throughout Scripture that how nations deal with Israel, there's going to be a blessing or a cursing on them. Traditionally and historically, like our nation has stood with Israel and been a blessing to Israel. Uh, my prayer is that that would continue. Um, 
And it all ties to this section, this promise that's given to Abraham. And I don't want to get bogged down on this section. We're going to, this is going to expand. And we're going to look at this more completely as we, as we navigate the next few weeks. But here, the seed is planted. Abraham is told of this promise that God is going to make with him. He says, leave your father and mother, and as you do this, I'm going to make you a great nation. A nation will be born from you. I'm going to bless you, and those that bless you will be blessed, and those that curse you will be cursed. That's the Abrahamic covenant in short. In verse 4 we read, And so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot with him. So here's the nephew, this dynamic. I don't, like, this, this, it, it, I don't think it ever really dawned on me, this relationship between Lot and Abraham, and that Lot's dad died, and that's Abram's brother, and there's a closeness here. So as he's leaving his family, his nephew joins him, probably because it was like a son to him. And Abram was 75 years old, and when he departed Haran, Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions from which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired at Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, location number three. Thus they came to the land of Canaan, location number three. Abram passed through the land as far as the Canaanite, as far as the site of Shechem, to the, the oak of Moriah. Now the Canaanite was with them in the land. And so the arrow comes down, big circle. There's Shechem, Bethel, and I, Hebron, and Saddam. So, so the journey of Abraham in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see that he's going to journey down. And I think even today, he's going to get down to the Negev, and then he's going to kind of come back. We're, there's also in verse 6, we're told that the Canaanite people are here. This is that other line that goes back to Ham. As we ended Genesis, there was Ham and there was Shem and these two lines that now we see these two lines working themselves out as the Canaanite people and the people of Abraham. Abram is now in sort of like hostile territory. God said, this land is all going to be yours. This, this story is going to continue to unfold throughout really the Old Testament. I would say this story is still unfolding today within the nation of Israel, which is a very small geographical region of the land that God has promised to them, you, you have the Palestinian people say, no, 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 this is our land. Saying that we don't want Israel here, we want them done. Like bombs are being launched into Israel to, today. Just yesterday, I think it was, that, that, that a couple rockets were launched from Gaza into Israel. One landed within Gaza, one landed without Gaza. Like these are things that we read about in the news today, all tying themselves to this section of Scripture, the Canaanites and, and Abraham's people. Verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He makes this place of worship, to, of remembrance of what God had done during that time. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. That's that middle location here. 
And as soon as I find my spot, we will go there with Bethel in the West. And he, verse 8, And there he built his altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward Negev. And as we pick up next week, we'll see that he makes his way down to Egypt. Um, and we'll come down. So this, this passage today, it's like one of these grapplings. Like I always, I always wrestle with like the so what question. Like what do we do? Like there's this, there's this history here. Um, what do, we, what do we do with this, like, as Christians? Like, what do we do, like, like, in your life today, as you go to work tomorrow, as you do with whatever you do tomorrow, like, as we interact with people, our life, like, how do, what do we do with this? Um, the first thing that I see about Abram is this guy wasn't perfect. It's easy for us to fill in the blanks with these, these Bible characters and to say, you know what, they had it all together. They were, like, just good people. They walked with God. They didn't do anything wrong. When I look at Abram this week, the reality is, is, is Abram, what, like he didn't come from a perfect background. Abram was a guy that came out of a family that was, like Joshua refers to them as idol worshipers, that they were not walking with God. And I think this describes a lot of our past in the background. And Abram could have said, well, I'm not a Sunday school guy. I'm not a good, like, I'm just not a good person. I didn't come from a good background and he could have really bogged himself down. And I think that we can fall into this trap. This week when I was studying, I ran into a quote concerning Abraham that I thought was really good. The quote said that our past can be a guidepost or a hitching post to our lives with Christ. Meaning that if you have a, have a messed up background in a place that's not really good, you can really tie yourself and your identity to that and say, I'm not worthwhile. I'm not worth this. I'm not worthy of God's love. The reality is none of us are worthy of God's love. Like that's God's mercy and grace towards us is a beautiful thing. In Abraham's life, I also see that the, the journey with God is a pilgrimage. It's not like you go from uh, one point to the next point, and you've just succeeded. Like this is this is a, a life, a relationship. As we walk with God, we grow, we make mistakes, we stumble. It's about God picking us up, continuing to develop us, and to to, to make us into His image. It's this journey, and it's beautiful. And we see this in Abraham's life. This man that is so recorded probably like second to Jesus, like worldwide, he's had this impact. And as we go from here through chapter 25, this is not a perfect man. This is a man who's going to make a lot of mistakes. But this is a guy that God holds up and says, if you want to know about faith, look at him. It wasn't about works. It was him hearing my voice and then responding, maybe not in perfection, but in obedience nonetheless. In this story, God seems to be the the main character. We see that he's sovereign. That means that he's in control. He's the one calling the shots. He's the one that's initiating. He's um, he initiates with Abraham. It's not like oh, Abram was doing such a great job, and amongst all of the people in humanity, there's this one little shining star that was just like stood out among the rest, and so he picked him. Bible says that no, he just chose Abraham because that's his. That's that's his ability to choose Abraham. And he says, I'm going to do this for you. And today's promise, this, uh, this Abrahamic covenant, it doesn't say you do this and I'll do this. It says, I will, I will, I will. These are the things that I'm going to do for you. And you're along for the ride. 
God does all of the heavy lifting. In our relationship with him, this is what he does. I don't remember where we were in the Bible, but I think we were back in Mark about a year ago. I read the quote from a blog, and it said, the only thing you bring to the table is your sin. Like, that's the only thing we bring to the table before God is our sin. And then he takes care of the rest. So I love this story about Abraham that is, that's a story about faith. It's a story about simple faith, him hearing God leading him and him taking the next step. First step was sort of the wrong direction, but he eventually got it right and made it to the location. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the story. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. We thank you for the story of Abraham, which we're The story is going to develop before us. We're going to learn more about Abraham and his life and his walk with you. Father, I thank you that your your word records his life for us uh, in clarity and truth. And uh, while he was a man that walked by faith, he was a man that struggled as we struggle, uh, that we grapple with decisions, we grapple with um, taking that step of obedience with you. And so, Father, I'm encouraged by the life of Abraham. I'm encouraged that you don't call and seek those who are perfect, for for no one exists in that way. We thank you that you take our imperfect faith and that you use it and you lead us and you guide us uh, by your mercy and grace. Father, we thank you for this Abrahamic covenant that through this promise, um, you would develop uh, the promise that was seen in Genesis chapter 3, Um, the seed that would come in the person of Christ who would ultimately bring about redemption for a lost people. We thank you, God, that your economy with us is based on grace. We pray that you would help us to lean into grace more and more and that we would draw closer to you in our daily lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.